Hey patrons, welcome to your bonus podcast for episode 298. Today is August 26th, 2020, and this is your bonus exclusive continuation of our interview with me and Carl St. Lucie. I think you're going to like listening to it. If you didn't listen to the main interview, be sure to go to MikeyPod.com, or it's actually right here on Patreon too. Um, I posted in both places. And uh, yeah, I want to make sure you all know I haven't posted about this yet in Patreon because I feel like I've been overposting. If that's even possible, I'm not even sure. I always wonder. I worry about everything. So that's part of my worry. Um, a, what's it called? Annual memberships are enabled now. Uh, it's a new feature on Patreon where you could pay for a full year at a time instead of uh, monthly. So you can do that and it'll give you a discount actually of 16% on your membership. So if you want to do that, swing by patreon.com, ask me if you need help. Um, let's go right into the interview. Here's Carl. Hey patrons, welcome to your bonus podcast. Uh, Carl St. Lucie is still with me. Hi, Carl. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so we just talked a lot about uh, the show Different Stars. If you didn't hear that main interview, you should definitely go to MikeyPod.com uh, and listen to that. And you should go watch the show at DifferentStars.live. Um, one of the things we talked about in the podcast that I meant to get back to, and I didn't because we were talking about so much other stuff, was this. And I can't remember exactly even what you said, but something you said was making me feel inspired to like really acknowledge my work for what it was and wh mm. what I had available to me. Yeah. And the challenge I have is this, uh, the demon voices of like doubt that I think all of us have that are constantly saying like, uh, you can't like, you can't do it live. You want to do it live. Forget it. It was not that going to be that good anyway. Like trying to like live in both of those worlds. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I think that there's actually like a great, um, there's a great like moment in the show to talk about, um, with regard to that. And, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that I think at least a few of my friends have been like, show was great. So impressed. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I, I'm so in awe. What the fuck was I'm your Underwood about? Like, what is that? Um, and in fact, Raquel, <laughs> Raquel kind of wanted to cut it, um, but but I, and I but I can talk about that song because I think it deserves explanation and I think it answers your question. Um, basically, the people, the real people who inspired this, it was you know it was me, who you know James is kind of an avatar for me. Um, mm -hmm. Reno, it was the boyfriend who I broke up with, and then you know James, uh, you know Reno, Reno's best friends Lauren and Olympia, who were a lesbian couple. Um, I'll tell the story like that, that is relevant to the song. And then I'll kind of talk about how it relates to your question, which is like, they have this story that they would tell about how, um, there was this one Christmas where Lauren or Olympia bought Lauren like an electronic keyboard. Cause Lauren always wanted to learn how to play piano. And, um, Lauren bought Olympia an Underwood typewriter because Olympia was a writer and a poet and all sorts of other things. And, but neither of them ever used these gifts. And I always thought of it as kind of like the opposite of that O. Henry story, the gift of the Magi, you know, yeah. where, um, you know, these, these, these people in this couple, like give up these extremely valuable things of theirs to like give a gift. In this case, it's just like they give the really valuable thing and then it's, it's value is kind of unacknowledged. And 
so I, you know, I was inspired to write a song from the perspective of Olympia's typewriter, um, you know, sitting on the shelf, not being used, kind of watching her, um, not write and be miserable in this horrible, abusive relationship. Um, uh, and, or I, not abusive, unsatisfying, you know, it's, I'm trying to also like stick to the texture of the piece, you know, Mm -hmm. in the piece, like, I think, I think that these are both dissatisfied couples. Um, um, anyway, when my experience was, you know, I thought if I can just, if I can just communicate to this person, like what he means to me, like how, how deeply I'm feeling the pain of this, like surely we can work it out. Right. And instead he would like, I would share these songs with him and he would, his response was kind of like, I can't believe that you're writing songs about this. It feels really frivolous and dismissive and like whimsical. And so, um, I started writing that song and got like the first two stanzas done and like, couldn't figure out what to do with it. But the more I sort of confronted his resistance to them and like other people's resistance to me writing about myself and my first breakup, I was like, no, like I have to say, um, I have to say that like my feelings are valuable. My feelings are valuable. Um, even if no one around me acknowledges it. So, um, so that's kind of ultimately what the typewriter tells her or tells, it communicates to James in this piece, you know, is like, you have to write a fucking song. Like, that's the thing you have to do. Um, so 90%, 90% of what was hard about this process and on top of the craft of like doing the video editing and arranging and performing myself, um, was overcoming a lot of that self doubt. Like I truly, there was a lot of like, Oh my God, we're in quarantine. People are dying. Like cops are killing people. Like who fucking cares about my goddamn breakup? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm very grateful that Raquel was around to sort of help me with that and sort of be like, you know, the thing you're doing might not solve any of that. But we do need we do need people to tell the truth about what's happened to them, you know, and uh, the truth about what they feel. That's important work. And so uh, it was easier for me to make it happen in spite of all that, just because the performers believed in the work and my director believed in the work. You know, I didn't believe in the work like I didn't believe in the work in in the work until it was done and it was up, you know. Yeah. Uh, And so I think. I think that if you're struggling with feeling like your work isn't worthy, I I think that's a, I think that's a good question. I think it's a good question to sit with yourself and be like, why is it, why is it that I think that my work isn't worthy? Is it because it truly like, will it actually make the world a worse place if it exists? I think that's a good question to ask. Actually. I think there are things out there that should not exist. Um, but if not that, then why would nothing be better than this thing? You know what I mean? And, you know, I think that, I think the thing to remember is you don't even always need an answer before you start just making it happen. I think the important thing is to have the question in your mind and to do it anyway. You know, at the end of the day, like a lot of the work that we do, um, we're not the bearers of the value of it. You know, it's up to the critics and it's up to the audiences to decide whether it's worthy. Um, 
whether it's worthy of their attention. But I think that our art is always worthy of our attention as artists. You know what I mean? Hmm. Whether that means that it, whether that means it gets seen or not is a different thing altogether, but the doing of it is so important. You know, like even if, even if this thing was a total shit show and you know, this wasn't a piece that I like, you know, this wasn't a presentation that I was proud of, which it was like, I still learned a lot of video editing. Yeah. I still took care of this material that I've been trying to take care of. There's so much, there's so much we gain from the work of making art that goes beyond what gets seen you know, I was also able to work with these actors again. I was able to deepen those relationships. I think I think that's the thing to remember is art making is never just about the thing you see. It's about the working on it and, and what that means and what it means to collaborate and what it means to honor your own experience of the world, you know? I, lo- I love doing this podcast and talking to artists for this reason because half the time I'm like, oh, yeah, it does matter what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like I really need to hear these messages. I hope other people feel this too um yeah i think one of my big um the or the characterization of one of my um what i'm trying to think of what what old julia cameron calls this that i just call them like the demon voices that like is this false sense of like who do you think you are to to make this you like who do you think you are to think someone would care about you know this thing that you want to make yeah. Um, and then it just gets amplified when there's a pandemic. Like, who do you think you are to make this during this time? Like, and, and it's well, it's cool to hear your process of getting through that. Well, and and not only that, not only we're in a quarantine, but like there is a lot of sh- there is a lot of stuff getting put up that's just shitty Zoom theater, and everyone is on Zoom all the goddamn time for their work. Everyone is so sick of looking at a fucking computer screen. It's like. You know, if you're going to be making work, there's also this added layer of like, how do I make this so that people like how do I subvert people's expectations when they come to this work, too? You know what I mean? I know I have an idea of what they have in mind this is going to be, and that's fine. But how do I turn that on its head and and do something that surprises? You know, I think I think we are in a moment of having to surprise people with the way that they experience the things we do, you know? Yeah. And then. Yeah. I think I'll leave it at that. My, well, ah, the other part of that is when you're surprising people with something new and letting them expect the thing that they may not be too excited about, is that somehow damaging to your potential audience, like to bring people on board? If You know, if people just think like, oh, it's going to be another one of those shitty Zoom shows, they're like, well, I guess you did work to keep that from happening with your promotional videos and that type of stuff. I don't know. I'm, th- I'm thinking out loud with a lot of things. Well, I, 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 I will also say, like, we made it, like, some of this is also very specific to the show we did in particular. Like, we made a choice that not only are the actors themselves using green screens, but, like, this character um, diegetically makes use of a green screen for the magic in the show, you know? So like the green screen actually exists as a character itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, does it hurt the audience? I think the nice thing about doing something on YouTube live that then stays on YouTube forever is like, uh, yeah, we had like 60 people there, but like, we're gonna, we're gonna, that's going to be, easily more like one order of magnitude greater by the end of the week. That's been my experience with everything I've done on YouTube live is that you do something 
If there's like 300 people, there will be 3,000 people who have watched by the end of the week. And the truth is you don't you don't have to worry so much about like what the like what the expectations are before it's seen. Once it's seen and people start talking about it, like those sort of questions of like, oh, God, is this another shitty thing? You know, you don't have to worry about them as much because if if something right now is getting attention and people are saying you've got to see this, like I think you can kind of. You can you can follow that thread because people are not going to be rec- recommending the shitty things that they're doing or you know the shitty things they're seeing. Yeah. You know? Okay. I love it. I think that's where we're going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> that felt like such an abrupt ending. Okay, that's it. We're done. Well, I mean, well, do you have any close? Like, we can do like a, a closing thought. Like, do you have like a like a, something you want to wrap it up with? You know what we could wrap it up with, if you have a recording of it, is I'm Your Underwood, since we talked about that song so much. Yeah, I can set it. Um, and do you want to set it up? Um, I think I'll let this little side conversation, because this is a bonus podcast. We let, oh, yeah, yeah. We oh, let them in behind the scenes. Oh, I lo- they get to, <laughs> yeah, all the, all the magic behind the curtain. Yeah, I'll send it to you. So uh, I will say there are kind of two versions of this. There, I, I, I originally produced a video for chamber quarantine, uh, which is a, which was a, like a digital festival put on by chamber queer, uh, which was my co-presenter for this, for this, um, presentation we did Victoria and I collaborated on that. And then, so that's like one arrangement. And then Zach kind of re kind of rearranged the song, for this presentation. So they're slightly different. Um, I can send you both and you can decide which one you want to use. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're just, they're just, uh, they're just like the one that he did was like much more roads heavy. Uh-huh. Like the one, the, like for whatever reason, like I hadn't, I had, a, it's always been my, like my impulse whenever I'm in logic is always to do like electro pop stuff. And, uh-huh. and so, uh, the original version of this is very electro pop and, and Raquel had to be like, um, can we have like more real instruments just to sort of ground this in something? And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, also you can, you can kind of decide or you, I mean, you can do both, whatever you want to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love it. Okay. I think I'm going to play the original because I'm going to assume that people who are listening went and watched the whole piece and now they're going to be excited to hear a different version of I'm your Underwood. Amazing. Cool. I love it. Yay. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do both of these podcasts. Oh my God. Of course. I, I, I'm just so humbled that like this little thing that I did crying in practice rooms in NYU is like something that I get to talk about is something I'm proud of now, almost 10 years later. (laughs) I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It's in itself. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's lovely. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining me. Of course. of paints and an empty white canvas. I too sit by, watching the premature snowflakes and Halloween candy. The hours pass. I see a tableau take shape. Three cups of cocoa. Late October.
I am here 